when I was in college, one of the professors whom I knew best was my physical chemistry professor. I did research under him uh, one summer, and we traveled together once to a regional meeting of the American Chemical Society. And of the college professors under whom I studied, I probably had more personal interaction with him than anyone else. He was a great scholar in his field, physical chemistry, and he was also a devout Christian. He uh, has, in the past, served as a, a ruling elder in his church, a PCA church, Presbyterian church in America, and a uh, very, very godly man. He lived, and I assume still does live, on an acreage of land some ways outside of Jackson, Tennessee, and one of the things that he enjoyed was to be out on Saturdays working on his land, kind of a, kind of a mini farm, and he said that as he did so, he liked to listen to old country music. And one of, the, one of the funny stories I remember him telling me was about his son, who had apparently imbibed some country music on Saturday, and it remained with him even on Sunday morning. And being devout Presbyterians as they were, they held a high view of the Sabbath and wanted to spend the morning before church preparing themselves to worship the Lord and, and hear the word. And so my professor's wife was not too happy when she heard her young son singing the old song, looking for love in all the wrong places on Sunday morning when he was supposed to be preparing himself seriously for church on the Lord's Day. And at the risk of oversimplifying things, that one line, looking for love in all the wrong places, unfortunately sums up quite a bit of the behavior of Samson here in the book of Judges. In recent weeks, we've seen how in chapters 14 and 15 of Judges, how those two chapters flow together, how the occasion that the Lord was seeking against the Philistines, which was begun at the marriage of Samson to the Philistine woman of Temna, in chapter 14, this occasion actually extended all the way through chapter 15, with Samson and the Philistines each seeking to render tit for tat to each other, culminating then in the slaughter of those thousand Philistines with Samson using the donkey's jawbone as a weapon. And tonight as we come to chapter 16, the final chapter in the book of Judges on Samson, we see Samson's continued weakness for women. His wife, whom he had married and who had subsequently been given away to the best man, was now dead at the hands of the Philistine, but Samson was still looking for love in all the wrong places. Let's look to the text, Judges chapter 16. Judges chapter 16. The historian writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her when it was told to the Gazites, saying, Samson has come here. They surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. And they kept silent all night, saying, Let us wait until morning light, then we will kill him. Now Samson lay until midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the city gate and the two posts and pulled them up, along with the bars. Then he put them on his shoulders and carried them up to the top of the mountain, which is opposite Hebron. After this, it came about that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him, 
and see where his great strength lies and how we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him. Then we will give, uh, we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength is and how you may be bound to afflict you. Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh cords that have not been dried, then I will become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh cords that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in wait in an inner room, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the cords as a string of tow snaps when it touches fire. So his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have deceived me, told me lies. Now please tell me how you may be bound. He said to her, If they bind me with new ropes, which have not been used, then I will become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. Four men were lying in wait in the inner room. But he snapped the ropes from his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Up to now you have deceived me and told me lies. Tell me now how you may be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my hair with the web and fasten it with a pin, then I will become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his hair and wove them into the web. And she fastened it with the pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled the pin of the loom and the web. Pulled out the pin of the loom and the web. Then she said to him, How can you say, I love you, when your heart is not with me? You have deceived me these three times and have not told me where your great strength is. It came about when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him that his soul was annoyed to death. So he told her all that was in his heart and said to her, A razor has never come on my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I will become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all that was in his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all that is in his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on their knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his hair. Then she began to afflict him, and his strength left him. She said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes, and they brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze chains, and he was a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it was shaved off. Now the lords of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. For they said, Our god has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their god, for they said, 
Our God has given our enemy into our hands, even the destroyer of, the, of our country who has slain many of us. It so happened when they were in high spirits that they said, Call for Samson that he may amuse us. So they called for Samson from the prison and he entertained them and they made him stand between the pillars. Then Samson said to the boy who was holding his hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there. About 3,000 men and women were on the roof, looking on while Samson was amusing them. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me, and please strengthen me, just this time, O God, that I may at once be avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested and braced himself against them, the one with his right hand and the other with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bent with all his might so that the house fell on the lords and all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed in his life. Then his brothers and all his father's household came down, took him, brought him up, and buried him between Zorah and Eshtel in the tomb of Manoah his father. Thus he had judged Israel for twenty years. Now the chapter that we've just read is straightforward as to its content. It is reasonably well known. The plot line starts in Gaza with Samson visiting a prostitute and it ends in Gaza. First with Samson in prison, and then with Samson entertaining the crowd at Dagon's temple. We see Samson's strength, and we see his weakness. We see his sin, and we see redemption at work as well. And so as we think about the chapter that is before us, let's consider first the deceitfulness of sin, and then secondly, the deliverance of God. The deceitfulness of sin, the deliverance of God. First of all, the deceitfulness of sin. As we've seen in working through the chapters on Samson, he was a man who was guided by his sight and by his lust. He had said of that woman in Timnah that he desired to marry, that she was right in his eyes. We got the sense rather early that Samson was rather fleshly in his inclinations. And chapter 16 only proves that observation to be all too correct. First, he's with the harlot in Gaza which necessitated him tearing out the city gates in order to get away from the Philistines. It's not entirely clear where the location uh, of that mountain that is referred to there in the text, where that actually is and how close to Hebron that hill actually is. If it's very close to Hebron, the, uh, the distance from Gaza to Hebron may well be 40 miles. And so he might have been, he might have been carrying those gates for more than one day uh, to get them from Gaza to Hebron. And he may have, in fact, taken them there to the heart of the territory of Judah almost as a kind of trophy. And we don't, we don't know for sure. But at any rate, this is an amazing feat of strength that he just rips out the gates and goes on his way. And then there's Delilah. He loves her. And while the text is not completely explicit about the relationship between Samson and Delilah, there's enough evidence for us to conclude that this relationship was not platonic, nor was it a well-ordered courtship. The implication is that Samson is her live-in boyfriend. We're never told exactly how she felt about him, 
But we can get a pretty clear conclusion that her affection was not the same as his. She gets offered silver from the Philistine officials, and she's down with bringing Samson down. And then come about those requests repeated, please tell me where your great strength is and how you may be bound to afflict you. Three times he gives her a bogus answer. Three times she attempts to do what he said would bring him down. There's the seven fresh cords, there's the new ropes, there's the weaving of the hair into a web and fastening it with the pin. Three times the Philistines are brought in, waiting to finally get this man, their arch enemy. Three times Samson escapes the trap. Now, we don't know what happened to the Philistines on those three occasions. We don't know if they just got up and ran out and escaped unharmed, whether they got beat up or whether something worse happened to them. We don't, we don't know. The scriptures don't tell us. But then, starting in Delilah, uh, starting in verse 15, Delilah starts working on Samson's profession of love. I remember once hearing someone describing his, his interaction with a woman, and I can't recall if it was a girlfriend, fiance, wife, or what the precise relationship was, but at any rate, they were having some kind of a disagreement, and uh, the man said, and then the waterfall started. And that's what happened here, more or less. Now, we're not told explicitly that there were tears. There may have been, maybe not. But certainly, the, this was the kind of nagging and needling that Samson could not stand. Let's look there to verse 15. Then she said to him, How can you say, I love you, when your heart is not with me? You have deceived me these three times and have not told me where your great strength is. And according to verse 16, she pressed him so hard that his soul was annoyed to the point of death. And we're told uh, back in chapter 14, verse 17, that his wife pressed him. Right? This, is, this, is a, this is a running theme in the Samson narrative. His wife had pressed him during that, that wedding celebration. Tell me the riddle. Now, his girlfriend presses him. Tell me the secret of your strength. And back in my days as an educator, I had to watch some videos of uh, a fellow named Fred Jones. And uh, Fred Jones uh, was kind of renowned as, a, as an expert on classroom management techniques. And according to Fred Jones, the most, wi- <laughs> the most widespread management technique is nag, nag. <laughs> and I think we see from the text that there are other places where that technique is used as well. Nag, nag, nag. And Samson <laughs> can't take it. He tells all. And Delilah now knows, right? She, she senses that she has the goods on Samson. So the barber comes in and the game is up. Now, we have the advantage, and we have time. We can look back at the text and hopefully reflect on it with some sanctified common sense. And we, we look at this, and we're like, what in the world? How could you be so foolish? Did you not recognize that every time you told her what made you weak, she did it to you? That's a long line of strange coincidences there. What made you think that this time would be any different? You're the judge of Israel. You're the champion of your people. You're the Nazarite of God, and you're willing to put all of that on the line so that you could be the live-in boyfriend of this woman who is ungodly, clearly annoying, and would sell you out to your enemies for money. 
You're willing to put all of that on the line to be with her? What in the world are you doing? Now we look at that and we think, what in the world? As my father would say, how long have you been living in the world? But I would venture to say that what we see here so clearly in Samson, what we sometimes see in others, is the very thing that we often fail to recognize in ourselves. The deceitfulness of sin. Ambrose in the ancient church put it this way, Samson, when strong and brave, strangled a lion, but he could not strangle his own lust. He burst the fetters of his foe, but not the cords of his own passions. He burnt up the crops of others and lost the fruit of his own virtues when burning with the flame and kindled by a single woman. Samson shows us the deceitfulness of sin. Sin makes us foolish, and that is on full display here. Now Solomon asked in Proverbs 6, 27 and 28, Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? And the answer to Solomon's rhetorical questions is obviously no. No, you can't. If you put a burning log down your shirt, you're going to get burned. If you walk on burning coals, you're going to get burned. With even a moment's reflection, we know that that is true. But the cause and effect relationship between doing evil and suffering the consequences for evil gets a little blurry when it's us and not somebody else in question. Samson was willing to tell his girlfriend all just to get her off his back. He's willing to risk his safety, his service to his people, even his life just so that his fleshly desires could be gratified. He thought that he could walk on coals and not be scorched. And this is what sin does to us. It makes us fools. The drunkard and the drug addict are willing to spend their last dime and put their loved ones in jeopardy as long as they can get another drink or get another hit. The adulterer or the adulteress is willing to sacrifice their marriage, their family, in some cases even their career, for the thrill of the affair. The thief is willing to risk the jail time or willing to risk his job for whether it's the thrill of stealing or the fruit of stealing. Back in the 1940s, the British philosopher C.E.M. Joad was, was quite popular with the, the British public. He was on a BBC radio program called The Brain's Trust. But the character flaw that brought him down was the odd thrill of the love of cheating the railways out of paying their fares. He was, he was pretty open that he would cheat the railway out of their fares any chance he could get. It was this, this game that, that he would play. He uh, apparently had pocketfuls of, of penny tickets that he would carry with him, and I guess he, could pull out, he would pull out a ticket and try to, try to act like he had paid the fare when he really hadn't. And he would lie about what station he had gotten on the train at, and he would scramble over hedges and fields to get away from ticket collectors. This was, this was a game and a pastime for him. But in 1948, he was caught. He was fined two pounds and dropped from the BBC. From a worldly point of view, this guy had had a lot going for him, but he sacrificed it all because he had this odd thrill of wanting to cheat the railways. And that's just the temporal aspects of punishment that we've been speaking of. We've been speaking only of the things that happen to people as a consequence for sin here in this world. We've not been saying anything about the judgment of God and the life of the world to come. It's the deceitfulness of sin that leads us to do these things. We convince ourselves either that our evil will not catch up with us or that if it does, 
We just don't care. And we'll deal with the consequences when they come, so long as we can get what we want right now. This is the deceitfulness of sin. Satan is a liar and the father of lies. Sin tells us a lie, we believe it, and away we go. It was a wise prayer in the litany of the Church of England in the the Book of Common Prayer. From all fornication and from all other deadly sin and from all the deceit of the world, the flesh, and the devil, good Lord, deliver us. Is it any wonder then that we find in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, these words, Take care, brethren, that there be not in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. So take care. If there be not in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. The writer says, encourage one another. And implicit in that is, be encouraged by one another so that you will not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And this means that you should be looking out for yourself. It means that you should be looking out for others. It means also that you should be willing to have others look out for you and to speak words of encouragement or exhortation to you as you have need. Sin is deceitful and it desires to master you. So be on guard for yourself, be on guard for others, and be humble enough to let others be on guard for you as well. We live in a day in which the world has grown bold in its errors and brazen in its assertion of them. The world is tricky and sin is deceitful. So take care, brethren. Take care, sisters. Let's learn the truth of God and stand firm upon it. Let's not be carried away by the errors of unprincipled men. And we've seen in this text the deceitfulness of sin. We've seen Samson's fall in connection with the deceitfulness of sin. But we also see the deliverance of God. And that deliverance springs from the grace of God. After Samson's eyes were were put out and he was taken to Gaza and put in the prison to grind, we're told in verse 22 that his hair began to grow again. I think the writer is, is giving us a clue here that the mighty acts of Samson are not finished yet. Although certainly there's nothing magical about Samson's hair, nevertheless, his hair uncut and unshaven was a sign of his devotion to God as a Nazarite. And this little detail that his hair began to grow again, I think should tip us off that his service to God is not done yet. I think it's not merely a historical detail, but that there's also a theological element to it as well. God still had important work for Samson to do. And the text of Judges doesn't give us all of the details of what transpired in Samson's heart during his imprisonment. But what we find is that despite all of his sin and all of the trouble that he had brought upon himself, he was still trusting in God. And we find that God heard his prayer, strengthened him one last time to wreak more havoc on the Philistines in one final blow than in all the rest of his life. God still used him despite his sin. And the writer to the Hebrews puts him in the hall of faith. And so in our evaluation of him, let's not 
Judge him more harshly than God. We don't have a lot of good evidence for the state of his soul in the book of Judges. But I think we need to read Judges in light of what we find in Hebrews. We certainly must not discount his sin, but neither must we ignore his faith and the grace of God that was given to him. Now, Samson's life was, is, I would say, in a way, an emblem of the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel was supposed to be set apart to God in holiness, as was Samson. But Samson's life, as we've seen, turned out to be a picture of what Israel had become in practice. Doing right in their own eyes, turning aside from what was truly the right way and the way of faithfulness. And Samson's immoralities are, as it were, a thumbnail sketch of Israel's spiritual adultery and following other gods. And when Samson had gone so far as to betray the secret of his strength, the Spirit of the Lord departed from him, and he did not know it. And isn't that what happened to Israel as well? When they had gone so far, their strength was lost, and they were overcome by their enemies. But the Lord's grace to Samson is also a picture of what the Lord would do for the nation or for those within the nation who repented and returned to the Lord. They would be strengthened again. And that should give us hope as well. The Lord did not ultimately forsake Samson for all he had done. God has mercy on a backsliding people then. He has mercy on backsliding people today who turn to him in repentance and faith. And let's allow Samson, imperfect though he was, to point us to Christ, who is the true deliverer from a much worse oppression than that of the Philistines. Both Samson and Christ won a victory for their people by means of their death. God's plan for Samson was that he would begin to deliver Israel from the Philistines. Samson did that. He began the work of delivering Israel from the Philistines. That process was later continued in the days of Samuel and the days of Saul. And we find David fighting against the Philistines. But the Father's plan for Christ was that he would save his people from their sins. And Christ did that without sin, and he did it without shortcomings. And Christ not only begins the work, but he completes the work as well. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He who began the good work in us will carry it on to completion. Samson killed men, but Christ disarmed rulers and authorities and rendered Satan powerless. He came to destroy the work of the devil. Samson was the one who began an earthly deliverance, but Christ is the one who brings an eternal deliverance. He's the one who brings life and immortality to light through the gospel. And as we, so as we look at Samson, this rather tragic deliverer, let's, let's learn from his mistakes. Let's see the deceitfulness of sin as it operated in his life and by the grace of God learn and turn away from such things. But let's also... Allow him to point us to Christ, who is the true and triumphant deliverer of his people. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would help us to see sin in its true colors. We know, Lord, that we can be very quickly deceived, that we can be lied to and accept the lies and that we ourselves can tell ourselves all manner of lies. Lord, we ask that you would help us to see things clearly, 
Help us not to be taken in by sin. Help us to recognize it for what it is. Father, we ask that you would deliver us from evil, that you'd lead us not into temptation. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to your people despite their shortcomings and sins. We thank you that this deliverance by Samson ultimately points us to the deliverance by Christ, which is of infinitely much greater value than that of Samson. But nevertheless, he points us forward to it. Lord, we ask that you would help us, that we would be strong, that we would walk faithfully with Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen.